That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear but never understand, and you will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty and in another thirty. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, break our pride to pieces as we sit before your word and allow this to take root in our hearts. And even as we have read, O Father, might the evil one, the enemy, not snatch away anything that is planted here. And might our hearts be softened, not hardened like along the path. But might the soil be good and fertile. Might it yield fruit 
hundredfold, sixtyfold, or thirtyfold, all according to your sovereign will. In Christ's name, amen. <clears throat> Beloved people of God, dear congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ teaches us in this passage that there are really three possible categories of responses to him and to his preaching and to his kingdom. There are four soils that he names, but really it can be lessened to three categories. There is first unbelief. That is the the, the first soil that we see, outright rejection of Jesus. That's unbelief. The middle two are what we might call false belief or temporary belief. It is that belief that does not take root and does not actually change someone and is not lasting and abiding. And the last, uh, the last soil that he names, the fourth soil, is true belief, living faith. Jesus gives us all of these things. He, he explains it to his disciples that they might uh, further understand what he is doing. But particularly here in, in the Gospel of Matthew, what we're seeing that is brought front and center is that it, it all becomes about one's response to Jesus Christ. He is the king, and the king has come, thus the kingdom has come. The kingdom is present, but the kingdom is working mysteriously. So Jesus teaches us some lessons about his kingdom, and we're going to think about those, what we call the lessons of the parable, and then the second half tonight is the the lessons of the soils. So first, the, the lessons of the parable. What do we learn by Jesus teaching this parable? What does it teach us about the kingdom? In verse 1, you will see in Matthew 13 that the, the excitement is rather high, isn't it? There's a great crowd that has assembled to hear Jesus, and uh, he's in a boat, and, and he needs to, to, to make a way so that people can, can hear him. They're all gathered on the beach. And so this is a very uh, exciting time in the ministry of, of Jesus. But the, the fact that he teaches in parables, this is probably a large reason why the disciples are caught off guard. Here you have a, a crowd that in some ways is perhaps ready to be worked into a frenzy. And if someone is coming as a, as a king, as a revolutionary type figure, you need these kinds of moments where the, 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 the momentum gathers and it turns into something different. But not only does Jesus teach in a parable, but he also gives to them a parable that kind of works against the very idea of momentum, of revolutionary action, the idea of a, of a sower sowing seed. In our, the history of our own nation here, there's, it's quite fascinating that probably the, the only man that the American people were willing to make king was the one who also turned it down. Speaking, of course, of, of George Washington, so beloved right after the, uh, the Revolutionary War, the War for Independence, that many people thought he should just become the king. And he probably wasn't perfectly humble in his life and in his heart, but he, he did desire to sort of push that away. That was not his, you know, what he wanted. 
Jesus Christ in, in a similar but a greater way, of course, as one who saw many opportunities in his life, in his earthly ministry, to sort of take the throne. We read that a couple times in, in the Gospel of John. People are seeking to make him king, and he escapes through the crowds. It's something like, similar to what happens here, isn't it, that the crowd is excited. They're, they're ready to go. They want to hear what Jesus has to say. Maybe he gives them a, a big exciting rallying cry, a, 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 a battle-type speech kind of pre-game speech that you would hear a, a football coach give or something like that. Tells them a parable. This is what the kingdom of God is like. A sower went out to sow. And we learn from this parable much about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Sowers at the time, we sort of hear that story and, and the seed is going everywhere, but certainly sowers were talented in what they did. They knew how to spread seed, but it would be long and difficult work, and they would understand and know that, that there would be many seeds that would not ultimately be planted and, and fall on good soil or bear fruit, but they, know what they, they knew what they were doing. They were highly skilled workers, but some seed falling in the wrong place was, in that time, unavoidable. But the sower knows something, that though there is much seed that will not flourish, there will be no harvest unless the seed is actually sown. There we have something that we learn about the kingdom of God, that the message of the kingdom is to be disseminated liberally, generously, but not foolishly. Sowers were not foolish in what they did. And so the message of the kingdom is to be disseminated generously, but not foolishly. We, in, in our time, standing on this side of the life and the, the death, the resurrection of Christ, we have a, a particular proclamation that we are to make. We, we considered that last week. Jesus, in His earthly ministry, teaches largely in parables for particular reasons. Now, we openly proclaim all that Jesus is and all that He has done, that He is risen and, and, and reigning. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It's a, it's a call to faith because that needs to be embraced by faith. Jesus is not someone that we, we visibly see with our eyes. So we learn that about the message of, of the kingdom. It's something that, that needs to be disseminated generously, but not foolishly. We also see that the kingdom is something that grows slowly, and it grows mysteriously, but there's also a, a great power to it. This is, again, not the, the frantic pace of a, of a quick-rising revolution. We've seen some of those happen in the last hundred years. 50 years, even beyond, uh, on the world stage, these revolutions that kind of happen quickly, regimes change just like that. That's not what the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God is present now. It awaits its consummation, uh, but it's something that grows slowly, and yet it is powerful. You drive through the fields. If you go south here a little bit and keep going south, you see all the, the, the crops that are, that are coming up. You see in springtime, it's rather unimpressive. But if you drive through country land and farm towns now, or right around harvest time, especially cornfields, right, they, they've grown to something that's rather impressive and powerful. So it's something that grows slowly and mysteriously, but there's also a, a great power to it. We also see that what this parable brings front and center is really what becomes a core issue in Matthew, and that's the heart's response to Jesus Christ. That's really the, the fundamental truth about someone. 
And we're moving in the Gospel of Matthew to that, that, that pinnacle point where Peter confesses Jesus as the Christ. It's kind of a, a seminal moment in the Gospel of, of Matthew. But Jesus teaches us in this parable that, that that is really a core issue about His kingdom, the heart's response to Jesus Christ. How does the heart respond? Jesus tells us then. So that's just quickly the lessons of the parable. Let's focus uh, the rest of the time, the lessons of the soils. But first, just two things to mention. First, who is the sower? Who is the sower in, uh, in this parable or generally? Well, ultimately, Jesus Christ is the sower. He is the, the ultimate sower. He is so here as he tells this parable, right? He is the one preaching the kingdom. He is the one proclaiming the kingdom. And now the church is really to proclaim Christ's message. It's Christ's message that we are to proclaim. Jesus sent his apostles out to go and and establish the church and and proclaim the reality of who he is. And now preachers and ministers of the gospel, what are they to do? They are to simply carry on proclaiming that very same message. A preacher is a a herald of the king, sent out and, and commissioned with his authority to proclaim all the things that Jesus has declared to us. So the church sows the seed of the kingdom of heaven, and Jesus is the ultimate sower. We see here in this parable that there are three responses where it's a negative outcome. The the unbelieving, the false, and the two of the false belief or temporary belief. And if Jesus, as the sower, expected that there would be many who would not respond positively to his message, then, of course, we ought to expect the same thing. So as the church disseminates this message generously, but also carefully, carefully to follow all of the words that God has given to us in and through his word, we need to know and to understand that certainly, yes, we cannot expect perfect success or anything like it. But we know that there is no harvest if we do not sow. And that leads us then to a second consideration. How does soil become good? Because that's really the, the, the fundamental issue, isn't it? How, how, do, how do I become good soil? I want to be good soil so that I can bear fruit when the seed is, is planted in me. Well, we must read this parable and, and all things, certainly, but this parable through the prism of, of God's sovereignty. Behind it all, we see the sovereign work of God. God tills the soil of the human heart, makes them receptive to the gospel. Jesus has taught us about God's sovereignty in this parable. Remember, he says to the apostles, it has been granted to you to see. So if you have known that work of God in your heart, you can be thankful that God has tilled the soil in your hearts to make it good. So then, for the rest of our consideration this evening, the the lessons of the soils. If the response to Jesus Christ is, is really fundamentally what this is about. What are these various responses to him when the message is proclaimed? The message that was proclaimed when Jesus was ministering on the earth and that which is proclaimed now through the proclamation of the gospel. Well, we see in the first soil then the seed that falls along the path, and that is outright rejection. This is very obviously the most blatant rejection of Jesus, the seed that falls along the path. 
The path would have been something that would have been trodden down by being walked upon over and over and over again. And so that soil becomes as hard as concrete. It's padded down. The sun beats down on it. It becomes caked and hard and cracked. It's hard as concrete. So seed falls along that path and a bird comes and, and snatches it away. Jesus tells us the, the issue of what's happening here. This is one who, who does not understand. See that in verse 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, this word for understand is really to have an insight into, to grasp something of the, 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 the whole picture of what we mean when it comes to the kingdom of God. And the insight that Jesus proclaims to us, that Jesus Christ proclaims to us in the remainder of chapter 3 is the one who understands the incomparable value of the kingdom of God. The one who has grasped in his or her heart what we truly mean, or at least something of what we truly mean when we talk about the kingdom of heaven. Of course, I... You know, I, I bring it up quite often. The, the parable of the, the pearl of great price or the, the treasure hidden in a field, that's someone who has gained the insights of the kingdom of God, that they, they will sell all that they have in order to buy that field, in order to buy that pearl. The one who outright rejects Jesus and His preaching, His proclamation and His teaching, is one who does not have that insight. They walk right past the field, not knowing that the treasure is buried there. They go through the market, not stopping at the merchant who has that one pearl of great price. So that is the insight that really characterizes all believers, isn't it? that on some level we have gained that insight of what we mean when we say the value of the kingdom of God. It's worth everything. You have to be willing to sell it all. You would be willing to give it all up if it meant that that got you Jesus. We give thanks that God gives us many blessings beside uh, His Son, Jesus Christ. But all else needs to fail when put on the balance against Christ. All that you have combined must be nothing compared to Him. We see that insight is a a matter of the heart on this beaten down soil. It is sown in in the heart, and the the heart is the vehicle, the instrument of response uh, to God's Word and the Gospel in, in the Bible. The heart is what understands, the, the, the heart is what loves, the heart is what chooses. And all three of these encapsulate the, the believing response to Jesus Christ and, and His message. So insight is one who, who knows the truth of Jesus Christ. The one who has insight is the one who has embraced and, and his heart or her heart is oriented towards Christ and loves Him and then gladly follows Him. Before we, be, we move on, just a, a couple of things points of application on this first seed. Of course, this is the, the seed of outright uh, rejection. 
but there is some, some good application we can make uh, for, for ourselves. The first is this, the, the enemy snatching away something that we all should be aware of, that every time God's Word is preached, every time it's being preached, Satan is at work to minimize its effects. Now, this, of course, is is ultimately true in the heart of an unbeliever, someone whose heart is hardened. It's it's caked, and its heart is concrete, and it's it's cracked, and the seed is not going to be able to to, to penetrate the, the top layer. But certainly we would say he's, he's, he's at work even in regards to believers trying to snatch away truths from Scripture that, that will warm the affections of your heart and point you in your life to, to greater service of God. He wants to cut all of that off. He wants to stop that before it happens. He, of course, he wants to cut off life before it begins for anyone who would hear but he wants to distract. He wants to, to get into the, the, the workings of your mind and your heart when you sit under the, the preaching and the teaching of God's Word. You need to remember that there's a, there's a fight, there's a battle that goes on even when we, we gather here for something as, as simple and as humble as, as evening worship. Do you pray that, that God would make the teaching of His Word effectual in your heart? Do you know and do you understand that the enemy does not want you to gain insight that would greater transform you to serve God for His glory? And then, not only that, but what is the, the, the hardened heart? Well, we don't want to push the, the picture of the, of the parable too far. But the path was the path that was trodden over and over and over again. And it's probably true that there are people in the church that have heard so many sermons that they simply know how to close themselves off to its searing truths. They've heard it all before. They're kind of done with opening themselves up to it. They maybe will sit there, but they're not willing to have that word sink down into them. And we need to be aware of that, be be very concerned about our own hearts. Is there, a, is there a softness, a tenderness there? Openness to all that God would have for us. Be, be very concerned about the truth of a, of a hardened heart. The second soil, then, is one who, who runs at the first sign of, of hardship. This is one of those false or temporary beliefs. One of the possible responses to to Jesus and the preaching of the kingdom. This soil characterizes the response of, of initial excitement. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. That's something to notice. It's the only response there the, the, where you have that initial excitement, receiving with joy. But when does it fail? It fails when trials come. It fails in the midst of of suffering. And it seems that this stems mainly from a misunderstanding of of the Christian faith itself. This is someone who believes that uh, you follow Christ and that means your life becomes easier. You give yourself to Jesus and and He returns the favor by making your, your life much less difficult. A few summers ago, 
I was uh, speaking with a farmer. Um, you know, how do you speak to farmers? So I'm just talking to him about my grass, right? So, uh, and I said, you know, we had a lot of rain this spring, and I had noticed it was raining a lot in the spring, and then it, we had a dry spell in about June. And I said, boy, the, the grass really turned yellow quickly, didn't it? I mean, you know, obvious, right? He said, yeah. And he said something I remembered, though. He, he said, that, that, that's because when you have a lot of rain in the spring, the grass has superficial roots. And that stuck with me. In other words, the grass had not been forced to go deeply, to reach deeply down into the soil for water because it had been receiving so much rainfall. Oh, there was so much water there just under the surface. In other words, it was, it was kind of easy street for the grass. Everything had been made easy for it. So when the, the moisture just under the surface dries up, it had no way to reach down deeper. It had no root itself. It had those superficial roots. Pretty easy lesson to see, isn't it, beloved? When things are going great, when the rain keeps falling at just the right time so that you have all of the moisture just under the surface right where you need it, you don't have to reach very far. When the blessings of God's providence make it such that you don't have to dig too deeply in His Word or in your heart or in and through prayer, you don't have to dig too deeply in order to gain the rivers of living water. Do you allow the roots of your faith to become superficial only under the surface? A superficial faith will not carry you through difficult times. It will either become something more than superficial, or you will walk away. Either it has depth before you go into it, and we pray that that's what it would be, or it will become something more than superficial, or that person will walk away. And such is how it goes with many. Those who come to the faith thinking that it solves every problem, thinking that it makes their lives easier, find out quickly that, that following Christ likely brings more problems your way. It likely brings more complications into your life. Young children, this is like learning to play an instrument. All of us would love to be able to, to sit down at a piano or an organ, or to take up any, any instrument and in, with seeming effortlessness fill the room with beautiful melodies in a way that leaves everyone in nearly stunned silence. Who wouldn't want to do that? Who wouldn't want to, be, to sit down at a piano or some amazing instrument and make those beautiful sounds? We would take that ability if it were just given to us. But is, is that how someone learns how to play an instrument? Kids, you can go up and ask. We, we got a visitor here. You can ask Miss Becky afterwards. Did she, did everything she knows in the organ, did that come in one day? Did she sit down in the first day? That's, that, 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 that was it? She knows? She can play it perfectly? We'd all would love to have just a few things explained to us, and then boom, you're playing a concerto by Mozart or Beethoven. But what does it take? It takes painful, arduous, endless practice to be able to even play your first piece of classical music. You will practice for a year or more before you can make anything that sounds almost remotely like music. 
Now, people learn that it's hard. People learn that the piano's hard or an instrument's hard or really anything worth doing is difficult. And what do many people do? They quit, don't they, kids? They don't want to see it through. Why? Because they don't want to pay the price of the hard work. And that's a similar picture, beloved children, to faith. People learn that the Christian faith is many, at many times difficult, and they will give up. They like what the faith promises, right? Who, who among us doesn't like the idea of eternal life? No one likes that idea. But they learn of the reality of suffering. They learn of the reality of clinging to Christ through suffering and singing and praising God and thanking Him in the midst of difficult times. It becomes too much for many people. So how do we stem the tide uh, against this? Because not only does this have application in in helping us learn about why some people leave the faith, but it also helps us enrich our own faith so that this might not be a threat for us. How do we do it? You must learn what the faith is and what it is not. God does not save you so that you will be healthy, wealthy, prosperous. God saves you so that you might do that for which you were created to glorify Him in good times and in bad. Learn that now about the faith. God does not save us to make our lives easy. He makes us for His glory, saves us for His glory. You must love that truth. You must learn to love that truth, that life is not fundamentally about us, it's about the God who saves us. And then secondly, treasure Christ now in a way which will abide when suffering comes. Are are you seeking to love and treasure Christ now such that when a difficult moment in your life does come, you will be able to, to look to Him as the one whom you so deeply love and treasure? Is that the way you're seeking to love Christ now? One way to do that is to to think about the way that God loves you. The way that that He is the unchanging and eternal God. He loves you. And has given Jesus Christ to cleanse us from our sins. If you believe that God never changes, if you hold that truth in your heart, you believe that God never changes, when difficult times come, you will be absolutely convinced that He still loves you. I think it was Gerhardus Voss who said, the greatest evidence we know uh, that God will always love us or that Christ will always love us is that He never began. He's eternal. He's unchanging. And so are we seeking to treasure Him so deeply now so that when those difficult times come, our faith will remain steadfast. One Puritan prayer puts it this way, in a world of changeable things, Christ and His Word alone remain unshaken. Oh, to forsake all creatures and rest on Him as a stone on its foundation. The third soil is sown among thorns, and this is the one who becomes choked out by by cares of the world. These thorns represent all of the the competing cares which tend to grab our attention, to to loosen the intensity of our love of heavenly things and and the gospel. 
And so this represents one who, who seems to accept the word of the kingdom, but, but that faith which seems so genuine in the beginning slowly fades until it is no more. How do we, we stem the tide against all of that? And we, we see that happening, right? This is not the, the sun beating down in, in the midst of suffering and it has no root, so it's gone. This is almost the, the long, slow chipping away, right? the cares of the world or the deceitfulness of riches come and sort of choke out that which seemed so real and so genuine at one, at one time. What we need is to look above the thorns. If we learn to look above the thorns, then we'll stay above the thorns. Right? Heavenly-mindedness is so central to the life of, of the Christian, and one who, who falls away in, in, in this way is one whose eyes are below, whose gaze is set on the earth, and you have the, the deceitfulness of riches or the cares of the world that just sort of pile up. And at some point, that insight of the value of the kingdom has been lost. And all of those things seem to be so much more important than the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. The Apostle Paul appeals in in the book of Philippians, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior. So do you think about when it comes to to developing heavenly-mindedness, not a heavenly-mindedness so that you are of no earthly good, but but a heavenly-mindedness such that your hope and uh, your anchor is in heaven and in eternity. Do you think about these things in such a way that you think oftenly about the futility of life, the brevity of life, and where your true citizenship actually lies? There was one Puritan who, who put it this way, those who are citizens of heaven, of God's country. In a way, they're like uh, wealthy people who go on vacation, and uh, on their vacation, they're willing to accept accommodations that are are less than what they're used to. It's almost like an adventure. They'll go camping or whatever, and that's certainly less than what they would be used to. And, And why would some of them actually embrace that? It's kind of a fun challenge for a time. And and what do they have to go back to? They have their great mansions and all the things they would ever want waiting for them. And so, dear believer, Jesus says that he goes to prepare a place for us. And that is where we will spend eternity. Our accommodations here may be less than what we dreamed of, less than what we hoped for. But those who love and serve and embrace Jesus Christ and and treasure Him can set their eyes above the plane of this world. And when the deceitfulness of riches comes knocking at your door, you say, I'm a citizen of heaven. I think often about the brevity of life, the futility of life. I'm filled with something deeper, a heavenly mindedness that will not allow my faith to be choked out. If you want to stay above the weeds, look above the weeds. And then the last soil then, as we close tonight, the last soil is the one of, of, of true belief. This is the, the, the one who, who understands. This is the one who hears the word and understands it. Like we said earlier, he has that insight 
willing to sell it all for that one pearl of great price, willing to to sell all that he has to buy that field because of the treasure that is there. He has a a right ordering of his loves and his his values. To some extent, uh, the the, the believer, the Christian, that is what we have, a, a right ordering of what we love and what we value and what we trust. This is faith, then, that endures under the scorching sun of suffering, a faith that rises above the weeds of the world's cares. Friends, is this your faith? Is this the faith that you have? Yes, there is suffering. Yes, there are many cares of the world. But are your roots deep enough that they can reach into the waters when the rains stop coming? Are you abiding in the vine such that the strength and depth of faith can endure the trials of life that cannot be choked out by the things which pull us to an earth-only view of things? You see also that, that fruitfulness is not an option. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. And so uh, our fleshly minds will tend to go, okay, so, so what's the, the, the bottom level of that, of that fruitfulness? Thirtyfold, twentyfold, ten, five? Where, where, does, where is the cutoff there? Indeed, the, the, the fruit varies, but all bear fruit. And that's not the equation that matters. You see, the, the abundance of one who, who bears fruit and in a sense becomes one who provides for the furthering of the harvest. And that's what God does when He plants us in His garden, in His field. We are to, to bear fruit, fruit that lasts and endures and actually gives unto the work of the kingdom and the growth of the kingdom. That we too are like those who are sowing seed and, and, and giving unto the, the advancement, this mysterious growth of the kingdom until harvest time. But that's not the the, the bottom equation that matters. The the equation that matters is this. That Christ gave all of himself for you and demands that you give your all to him. So some people will say, well, what's the the fruitfulness that I should shoot for? Where am I on that scale? A hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold? Here's what matters. Christ gives all of himself for us, and calls us to give ourselves to Him. So take to yourself tonight, believer, take to yourself all of Jesus Christ, and give all of yourself to Him. And He will be the one who works out your fruitfulness, because it comes down again to His sovereignty. He tills the soil of our hearts. He causes the fruit to abound. He plants us so that even down to old age we might be filled with sap and green and bringing him glory and honor and praise. So take all of Christ for yourself and give all of yourself to him. Let's pray.